0: Hey, friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Frankenfood. It's packaged up with super long shelf lives. This food should not be the staple items in your diet if weight loss is your goal. These Foods typically contain less micronutrients, uh, and that leaves your cells less satisfied and, and demanding more. They're specifically engineered by by food scientists to to keep you wanting more. And that's what this clinical trial showed. Now, I know that people preach moderation, but but my moderation is within the context of a healthy dietary pattern. And don't get me wrong, there is still a time and a place for treats redefine what those treats look like. For example, dates or dark chocolate or chocolate-coated bananas or chocolate-coated blueberries. These are very calorie-dense foods and and what I would call treats within the context of a super healthy dietary pattern. pattern. That's me, And and this is a solo episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Howdy friends. How are you? I hope you're doing well and having a fun week. Welcome to another episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Today's subject matter being healthy weight loss. So this is a solo episode relatively off the cuff uh, with a, a few specific notes that I have here with me and some take home messages That I've jotted down today. So in this episode, I am going to walk you through the benefits of being a healthy body weight, the the role of of social media and, and unrealistic body composition goals, the obesogenic environment that we find ourselves in, we'll touch on that, the science around fat loss, which is obviously something that's incredibly Interesting that I find incredibly interesting, and something that I've been doing a, a lot of writing about uh, in my book. What determines fat loss? Is a low-fat diet better than a, a low-carb diet, or or any other macronutrient ratio for that matter? Is fasting beneficial? Energy balance and and what affects it? Uh, how we can promote a calorie deficit, and and ultimately what an optimal diet for weight loss looks like. Along the way, I will refer to various scientific studies and we'll put each of those into the the show notes as I always do for those that are interested in exploring further. Everything uh, I go through is is evidence-based. There's not going to be any pseudoscience. No woo-woo, hard, hard, hard hard facts without any agenda to, to help you finally understand how to lose weight and, and or maintain a healthy body weight. And, and guys, I know that weight can be a bit of a touchy subject. In fact, online now, there's, there's a whole movement about fat shaming. And really, a lot of folks suggesting it's, it's politically incorrect, almost politically incorrect, to talk to people about losing weight. And that makes approaching this topic a little bit scary. I want to make it super clear. I am spending the next hour or so of my time with you to hopefully provide you with information that helps you with your health. Information that I've picked up from from reading scientific papers and talking to experts in this area, whether they are lifestyle medicine practitioners or endocrinologists, people that specialize in hormones, obesity physicians, bariatric surgeons, psychologists, etc., And this, this episode is not about achieving a, a size 6 or a size 8 body or striving to, to change your body shape based on what someone else looks like. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a size 6 or a size 8 body mind you, because for some people, that is their natural body. So I don't want to offend those people either. This episode is about acknowledging that being overweight is a significant risk factor for a number of chronic diseases. And while we are all different shapes and and sizes, and and we need to accept that, it doesn't hurt to understand the science behind weight gain and, and weight loss. So with that said, nothing in this episode is intended to shame anyone or disrespect anyone at all. So please, no matter how I word things, uh, don't take anything the wrong way. I would never say anything derogatory about someone's body weight. And, and I'm here because I simply, I want to help you. Now, a bit of housekeeping for new listeners because we've skipped over the introduction there and I realize I haven't said who I am. Welcome to the show, firstly. Thank you for joining us. My name is Simon Hill. Usually I say that much earlier in the introduction. I'm the the host of this show, The Plant Proof Podcast. I'm a physiotherapist, nutritionist, and currently writing a book on nutrition with Penguin, which will be published, I believe, later this year. And as soon as I have more information about that, I'm going to share it with all of you so that you can enter uh, in your email online to be notified when it's released and to help me choose what charities, uh, 100% of the profits I receive from the book will be donated to. So that will be something that you and I can do together. And then over the coming years, I want to share the impact we have together and I'll be documenting that by visiting the various places that we affect with the donations and 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 documenting that in in hopefully in a video format. As always, I, I hope that you get something out of today's episode that helps you become more mindful and and conscious of the way, that you are living your life. And that's what each of these episodes is is about. It's a non-judgmental, a uh, non-preachy space to talk about diet, to talk about being mindful of our decisions and and an opportunity to to sit down in a safe space and explore topics that often in short form on Twitter or on Instagram become very confusing and very heated very quickly. So as I said, today is a solo episode. Often I have guests on the show, whether they are doctors, nutritionists, dietitians or athletes or or people who have overcome chronic disease and generally folks that are working hard to, to create positive change. But today it's just you and me. So you're stuck with me. To preface this conversation, I want to address body image and I want to make something really clear. And that is that you are beautiful regardless of your body weight. I'm going to repeat that. You are beautiful regardless of your body weight. And I don't want you to let yourself or anyone else make you think otherwise. And while social media has extreme positives, far more positives than it does negatives, I've seen firsthand how one's expectations of, of what a healthy body weight have become distorted. I get messages from people all the time that want to lose weight, yet they're barely holding an ounce of fat. A few rolls, cellulite, a bit of cushion on the hips, this is is normal. And we have to remember particularly for for women of, of childbearing age. You know, a natural part of evolution is is women and their role of bringing new life into the world and and part of this is having enough adipose tissue to sustain that process. And unfortunately with Overly edited images and, and highlight reels, we can lose touch with this and and then get caught up in in aiming for something that is, quite frankly, often unrealistic. And, and that's when negative body image can begin. We are all different shapes and, and sizes, and and I'm hoping what I go through in this episode these notes that I have written down here, inspires people to to achieve a healthy body weight for them, for for their own unique body, and more importantly, a healthy relationship with food. The other thing I want to preface this conversation with is that this is a a 101 introductory to weight gain and, and weight loss. And while I Fairly across the role that hormones can can play in weight gain and weight loss, and it's something that I'm actively researching more and more about. I am not an endocrinologist, and I'm I'm not going to pretend to be one. Furthermore, what we are going to talk about today is the foundations of of weight gain and and weight loss—the most important information to understand and get right. The basics. Things like hormones, stress, behavior, environmental triggers, etc. These are very valid, but are also very individual. So whilst I acknowledge them and, and know that they are important in this overall discussion of weight loss, and particularly in the overall discussion of the obesity epidemic, they're not what I am covering today. Furthermore, often people use these as excuses for not taking full responsibility for their weight. And rather than that, I would prefer people control everything possible that's in their hands. And and then if still not getting results, look deeper into some of those other things. So with that said, you may have perhaps been told that you aren't losing weight because of chronic stress and, and hormones. I want you to park that for the next hour. I want you to listen to what I have to say and then assess if any of the tips and principles that we go through can be implemented into your life. You may be very surprised by just how much more control you actually have. Before we get into why it is that many of us are overweight, let's talk about the most important factor what I believe is the most important factor and and actually what the science says is the most important factor when it comes to determining whether you gain weight, whether you stay the same weight or whether you lose weight. And that is energy balance. The simplest way to think of energy balance is energy in versus energy out. Energy in is the food that we eat. That food holds a certain amount of energy. Energy out is the energy that we burn as part of being alive. The, the energy in bit is fairly simple. Our food has a, a certain amount of energy. We call these calories. Calories are a unit of energy. One gram of, of carbohydrates, for example, is equivalent to four calories. One gram of protein is four calories as well and one gram of fat is nine calories. As you eat throughout the day, this adds up to to a certain number of grams of protein, grams of fat, grams of carbohydrates, which then equates to a certain number of of total calories or energy that you have consumed and brought inside your body. You can think of this as, as fuel. Now, on the flip side, energy out is a little more complex, just a little bit, not too much. Energy out or energy usage or energy expenditure is best described by splitting it into three sections. The first being our basal metabolic rate or BMR, you may have heard it described as. This is the amount of energy that we burn literally just being alive, just being humans, doing nothing, breathing, blinking, etc. It's it's kind of similar to how your car uses petrol, a little bit of petrol, even when it's just sitting in idle. Our BMR actually counts for approximately 60% of the total energy that we burn per day, which is quite fascinating. We use a lot of energy for basic functions just to be alive. The second part of energy expenditure is the thermic effect of food. Essentially, digesting food, absorbing nutrients, storing nutrients, et cetera, all of this comes at an energy cost. It it burns some fuel to perform that process. Protein uses the most energy, carbohydrates the second most, and, and fat the least. And this is often why you'll hear people say to include high-protein foods in your diet if you want to lose weight. Essentially, that's because your body will use more energy to digest and utilize the protein compared to carbohydrates or fat. And we'll come back to this point a little bit later on towards the end of the episode when I provide a a summary. For now, you, you don't really need to focus too much on the thermic effect of food. The third component of energy expenditure consists of non-resting energy expenditure. So this is essentially the energy that you burn through moving your body. And that can be through incidental exercise, which is often called NEAT. So I'll call that NEAT from here on. So that's incidental exercise, like walking to your car, playing with your kids, walking your dogs, things like that. And then there's also dedicated exercise. So this is yoga, gym, running on the beach, things like that. I'm going to put a link to a graphic that nicely summarizes, explains what we just covered in the show notes. But essentially the most important thing to understand at this stage is that the food we consume holds an energy value and that the energy we burn is based on our BMR, the thermic effect of food, and any movement that we perform, whether that is incidental or dedicated exercise. With regards to utilizing energy or burning more energy, the the things that you can control the easiest are the incidental exercise, which as I said is often called NEAT, and dedicated exercise. You can also do some tweaks in your training program to promote a a higher percentage of muscle, which will increase your basal metabolic rate and does this because muscle tissue requires more energy at rest. But that's something we'll, we'll come to a little bit later on with some of my parting tips in the summary. And finally, the other thing that you can do to modify the amount of energy you're burning is increase the protein in your diet. We spoke about the thermic effect of food and the fact that protein requires more energy to to digest. Again, we'll come back to that at the end. At this stage, what I want you to realize is that ultimately, if we want to lose weight, we need to be consuming less calories or energy from our food than we are burning. So we can, when we're looking at energy balance, we can control the amount of energy we are bringing into our body. And that is through our food and looking at our dietary pattern. And at the same time, we can also control areas of the energy that we are expending, which is what I just covered. So that is energy balance one oh one. Okay, so now that we have covered that, why are so many of us in Western populations overweight today? What is, what's going on? It's, it's clear since the 1980s that we are consuming approximately 200 to 800 calories more per day. This adds up to, to a lot over time. That's 200 or 800 calories more Coming into the body. And you'll see people online arguing over whether it's it's fat or carbohydrates that caused it. I I, I have to admit, I, I laugh every time that I see this. They're 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 kind of wasting their breath. If you look at the data since the 1980s despite the, the low-fat recommendations. So in the, in the United States in 1980, the, the USDA Dietary Guidelines came out and they had low-fat recommendations in them. Uh, and people, since these recommendations, if, if you look at the consumption of, of fat and carbohydrates and protein, since since then, you can see quite clearly that people have kept their fat and saturated fat intake the same. But at the same time, they've actually increased their total calories by consuming more refined carbohydrates, consuming more ultra-processed foods essentially, and lots of foods with white flour and white sugar. So while fat has gone down as a percentage of total calories, the absolute amount hasn't changed and refined carbohydrates have gone up. So I guess simply put, the the intentions of these guidelines were for people to reduce their intake of fat, saturated fat in particular, mainly from from red meat and dairy. They're the greatest sources of saturated fat, the Western diet. And the intentions were for people to reduce saturated fat from those foods and replace it with unrefined carbohydrates from, from whole grains, from legumes, from fruits and vegetables. But the problem is, not only did people not reduce meat and dairy and and total saturated fat, they ate ultra-processed foods instead of whole plant foods. And and what happens is, of course, that's that's why people put on weight. They're consuming 200 to 800 calories more per day. And I think this is best summarized. uh, As I've heard Dr. David Katz say before, there are many ways to eat poorly and it seems people are really committed to exploring them all. So we really need to stop this argument of fat versus carbohydrates. We, we know unsaturated fats are particularly healthful. We know saturated fats should be limited. We know refined carbohydrates should be minimized. We know unrefined carbohydrates like whole grains and legumes should be consumed in abundance. Carbohydrates and fat are umbrella terms. They tell us nothing about the quality of one's diet. And really it, it, by by using those terms, it just plays directly into the hands of the food industry. Reducing food in this way to nutrients is it's called nutritionism. And it's largely why so many of us struggle knowing what to eat. You can Google that, Google nutritionism and, and read about the, the history of that and the use of it by the food industry, we focus on, on protein and carbs, et cetera, when we should be focused on the food groups and, and the overall dietary pattern. Okay, so sticking to this point about why so many of us are obese or overweight today, on top of eating more calories, we, we are moving less due to sedentary lifestyles that we've built for ourselves or other people have, have built for us. Thank you, Bill Gates. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Thank you, Internet. I'm only kidding. I'm a big user of the Internet. I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs and a big fan of Bill Gates. So I'm only kidding. But, you know, technology, it, it has arguably improved the world considerably more than the health challenges that it poses or, or somewhat created or at least been a part involved in. But we must acknowledge that with this technology, people are sitting around more often. And, and that's really another topic or, or debate in itself. But, but given that we are eating more and moving less, I actually just said that, I promised myself not to say that. <laughs> we we are eating more and moving less. Uh, these are terms that have been regurgitated over and over. I promise you, I'm going to give you more than that in this episode. But, but really, we are we we are eating more. We are moving less. And you know, now that you understand energy balance, it makes sense. People are becoming more and more overweight and obese. The the more you eat the greater your energy intake. And the less you move, the lower your energy expenditure. The net result of this is clearly a calorie surplus for for many people. They're consuming more energy than they're burning. So why such an increase in in calories consumed? The, The biggest reason that people are consuming more calories is that our food environment has changed. This is this is really important to acknowledge, and and no, before you, you jump the gun, I I'm not saying that we are all completely innocent here. I'm not about to just blame the environment. We do have some responsibility and some accountability too, all of us do. So hear me out on on this. In our current environment, often described as the obesogenic environment. We are all faced with an uphill battle, a struggle, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to managing our body weight. The food environment has been specifically set up, particularly over the past four to five decades, to promote the overconsumption of calories. What What do I mean by that? Well, the the cheapest and the easiest products the most convenient products are usually the least healthiest they are ultra processed foods that don't satisfy our body as well as whole foods and and thus we we end up consuming more calories than we require and i was just looking at an article today about ultra processed foods and it's quite staggering. The, the average Australian gets around 40% of their calories from ultra processed foods. The average American, I believe it's 55 to 60%. And in the UK, it's around 50%. So this is quite typical of Western populations getting you know around about half of all of their calories from ultra processed foods. And we know that these foods don't satisfy our body. And then we know that they lead to the overconsumption of calories. We know that from clinical trials. And one of these was uh, a clinical trial performed by Kevin Hall. Kevin Hall is, is a scientist that specializes in, in trials that look at weight loss. Kevin is someone that I've spoken about on this show several times and, and and actually intend to have on as a guest at some stage. Also remember when I mentioned a trial, it will be in the show notes. I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say refer to the show notes every single time because there's a lot. But in this trial of Kevin Hall's, he took people and he put them on an ultra processed diet for four weeks. And then he had them swap over to an unprocessed diet for another four weeks. It was in a random order. So some participants did the processed diet first, then the unprocessed and, and vice versa. The really cool thing, the really interesting thing about this study was that they match protein, fat, total carbohydrates, sugar, fiber, and sodium. So all of these things were matched. Uh, the, the things that people think would affect satiety or fullness, these were, these were all matched. They told people to essentially eat until they were full and provided them with the meals in, in an inpatient metabolic ward setting. So this is people checked into a, into a hospital environment for the duration of the trial. Essentially, this is as controlled an environment as it gets. There's, there's no sneaking cheeseburgers in or, or other foods uh, unlike what can happen potentially in other controlled trials where subjects are sent out to the real world, so what happened in this trial? They they found that when people were eating the ultra processed meals, they ate on average 500 more calories per day, which equated over the over the four weeks to weight gain of, of one kilogram when when eating the ultra processed food compared to approximately one kilogram of weight loss when eating the unprocessed foods over the four weeks. So the take-home message here, and this is take-home message number one, eat real food. As I said, the average Australian, 40% of calories from ultra-processed food, American 50 to 60, the United Kingdom around 50%. This is the first take-home message. Eat real food. This is going to help you control your body weight, among a host of other things. But this episode is about body weight first and foremost. This is this is Franken food. It's packaged up with with super long shelf lives. This this food should not be the staple items in your diet if weight loss is your goal. These. Foods typically contain less micronutrients, uh, you know, and that leaves your cells less satisfied and, and demanding more. And they're specifically engineered by by food scientists to to keep you wanting more. And that's what this clinical trial showed. I say this all the time, and, and I know that people preach moderation, but but my moderation is within the context of a healthy dietary pattern. And I don't see a huge role for ultra-processed foods for most people in Western countries. And I say most because context is key. If, if someone is severely underweight or, or lacks food security, then that is a different scenario to, to what I'm referring to. Clearly, for them, priorities are different. I am talking about the typical person who is overweight in Western society that has an abundance of food options. And, and don't get me wrong, there is still a time and a place for treats in a, in a healthy dietary pattern. And in fact, it's an important part of one. You know, So absolutely there is, but I want to redefine what those treats look like. For example, dates or dark chocolate or chocolate-coated bananas or chocolate-coated blueberries or almond butter slices. These are are very calorie-dense foods and and what I would call treats within the context of a super healthy diet or dietary pattern. But unlike the ultra-processed foods, they're not likely, less likely to to trick your taste buds into thinking foods like blueberries are not sweet. That's what happens when you eat these ultra-processed foods. Nature cannot compete. Uh, you, you don't feel satiated and, and you keep eating. So whether it's it's vegan or not, if, if weight loss is your goal, minimizing ultra-processed foods like packaged biscuits or packaged cookies or long shelf life, life muesli bars, Cocoa Pops, et cetera, is definitely going to be helpful. So ultra-processed foods is one area where we're going a bit wrong, which is definitely affecting our, our weight. On top of getting too many calories from these foods, that that are not you know truly satisfying us, Australians are consuming far too too much animal products, particularly meat. In fact, we, behind the USA, only consume the most meat per capita. It's it's roughly one hundred and sixteen kilograms per person a year on average. And that's, that's over three times the national recommendations and, and these are very calorie-dense foods. To, to top it off, 95% of Australians fail to, to consume the, the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables, you know, food groups that, that populations with healthy weights regularly consume. And, and most of us are failing to, to meet the, the recommended 25 to, to 30 grams per day of dietary fiber and and dietary fiber is only found in plant foods. So friends, it's it's pretty clear. We we eat too many calories overall. This is making us fat. The the reason we eat too many calories is because we're getting our calories from the wrong food sources. We are consuming too many calorie dense foods, ultra processed foods and animal products that that predispose us to to weight gain and and not enough calories from fiber-rich whole plant foods with low calorie density that really do protect us from being overweight. Even if we look at health-seeking populations, people eating plant-predominant or exclusive diets consistently are the only ones with healthy body weights. For example, in the AHS2 population, one of the Adventist studies, there are a population in California and also in Canada. In this population, there is a clear stepwise drop in BMI or body mass index from omnivore to pescatarian to vegetarian to vegan. And the only subjects in this population with a BMI considered in the normal healthy range, is the vegan population. This is definitely one of the greatest advantages of a 100% whole food plant-based diet. It naturally promotes a healthy body weight, which in addition to the removal of animal products and refined foods and the regular consumption of plant foods that are rich in antioxidants and fiber, et cetera, is a major reason why These subjects have lower risk of premature death from all causes: diabetes, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, because they are able to maintain a healthy body weight. And and guess what? They aren't counting calories. And they live in the United States of America. So this tells us it is possible to achieve a healthy body weight within the current environment without counting calories. Which brings me to my next point, counting calories. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode. It's Simon here. Just a quick intermission to remind you that my book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. In this book, I cover common myths about plant-based diets, evidence showing the potential health benefits that are up for grabs, the positive impact eating plant foods has on the planet, and much more. To order your copy, head to plantproof.com forward slash book, plantproof.com forward slash book. Okay, let's get back into it. Is counting calories a good thing? Should we do it? Does it promote an obsessive relationship with food? Does it work? Unfortunately, there is no simple answer to this, but I am going to refer to the science to illustrate where my stance sort of lies on this. Firstly, if one is looking for an extreme body composition, an extreme body composition goal, or has an extreme body composition goal in mind, like a bodybuilder, counting calories, it, it, it can make sense in, in that situation. But that's not representative of the everyday folks looking to, to lose a bit of weight that they've gained over, over the years or over the holiday period. We we know from long term studies that calorie restricted diets, where where people are actively counting their calories and, and sticking below a certain number, it only works for about twenty percent of people. If that, that's that's one in five. And and when I say it only works, I'm talking I'm talking long term at like one year. How many people have still maintained that that weight loss? So. With that said, you know one in five. Yes, it can work, but based on that, those odds, it is a gamble. And the, if you've tried it before and it, and it didn't work, the chances are even higher that it won't work again. Okay, so, so then what? the 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 reason these calorie restriction diets don't work long term is because they are exactly that. A diet. Whereas, if you look at people in society of a healthy body weight, and populations like the Adventists, for example, or, or you know the Blue Zones, or, or just people in society that naturally maintain a healthy body weight, they're not dieting. They they have simply shifted their view of food. Or, or perhaps we're, we're lucky enough to have parents who emphasized real food from, from a young age. And, and rather than dieting, they, they live a lifestyle that lends itself to a healthy body weight. Now, I agree that not all of these people are 100% plant-based. However, when it comes to people struggling to lose weight, getting as close to a 100% plant-based diet Has been shown in numerous trials to be most effective when you are not counting calories. So, with that said, if you want to count calories, go for it. By all means, go for it. I am completely supportive of anyone who is taking initiative, showing initiative in order to improve their health. And if that works for you, then I'm not going to take that away from you. It does work for some people. Science shows works for about one in five people in terms of long-term weight loss success. But what I am recommending for everyone else that doesn't want to count calories, that just wants to eat and, and wants to eat food that naturally helps them achieve a healthy body weight is a shift to a diet that contains all or at least most calories from whole plant foods. And in addition to that, implementing various strategies and and tips, if if need be, that we're going to cover shortly. But before we do that, what about low-fat ketogenic diets? Aren't they the best diets for weight loss? My simple answer to this is no. Meta-analysis after meta-analysis, these are the type of studies that compile many randomized controlled trials and and pull the data together. That's a meta-analysis. There is an abundance of these meta-analyses that show that whether a diet is low-carb or high-carb, there is no significant difference on weight loss. Perhaps the the most compelling evidence of this was a meta-analysis that was published in 2017. Again, this was Kevin Hall, actually, and he pulled together 32 metabolic ward studies. In each of these studies, the researchers fed subjects two different diets, a high-carb and a a high-carb versus low-carb diet that provided the same amount of total calories and protein. While there was slightly more fat loss during the high-carb diet, yes, that's right, slightly more fat loss during the high-carb diet, the findings were considered clinically meaningless. Confirming the conventional theory that when it comes to weight loss, a calorie is a calorie. So in these two diets, high carb versus low carb, if they matched the calories and the protein, there was no difference. There was no significant difference in the amount of weight that people lost. At the same time, these findings, I must say, they they really did put to rest the, the sort of carbohydrate insulin model, uh, a long-held theory by Sort of low carb proponents that had suggested that carbohydrate rich diets uh, were particularly fattening because they, they promote in, increased insulin secretion, which in turn directs dietary fat to be stored in, in adipose tissue rather than being used as an energy source, or so their theory was. But it's a nice theory, but it didn't stand up. In fact, controlled trials show that, if anything, ultra low carb diets like the ketogenic diet, for example, lead to less fat loss and more muscle loss. So you may be wondering, why then do these diets seem to be popular? You you may have heard of a a friend who lost weight on a keto diet, or you may have tried it yourself. Firstly, it's important to understand uh, our bodies store roughly 500 grams of glucose as glycogen, glucose being... Uh, the most simple form of, of sugar from or simple form of carbohydrate. We can store 500 grams of this as glycogen in our muscles and, and liver. You may have heard of athletes talking about carping up before an event. That is to, to replenish their glycogen. So we store 500 grams of, of carbohydrate, let's call it that. And with each gram of carbohydrate stored in our body, mainly in our muscles, also in our liver, three grams of water are also stored. So when you combine all of that, we hold about two kilograms of water and glucose. When you adopt a low carbohydrate diet, you deplete this storage. So it's not uncommon to see a big drop on the scales, but this is not fat. This is water and your glucose stores. And as soon as you have a bread roll or cookie or or muffin or whatever, it'll it'll all come straight back. Secondly, ketogenic diets usually advocate for the removal of heavily refined processed foods. That's actually something that we agree on. And no doubt that helps people lose weight as they cut out donuts, cakes, biscuits, et cetera. But, But that's not a feature of a ketogenic diet, you can cut out these sorts of ultra processed foods as any part of any dietary pattern. And in fact, I'm recommending it by telling you to get most or all of your calories from whole plant foods. In addition to that, <laughs> we we often this one, this one does make me laugh. I shouldn't laugh. Um, we often hear people on the interweb saying keto diets burn fat. And and that's true. When you are not consuming carbohydrate, your body as a survival mechanism. This is a survival mechanism for when periods of famine when there was no food around. When when you're not consuming carbohydrates as a survival mechanism, your body switches to burning fat. But the key thing here friends, is, and I really, really want you to make sense of this. The key thing here is you're burning dietary fat, not stored fat. The only way to burn stored fat is to get into a calorie deficit. And as I just mentioned before, trials have consistently shown there is no benefit of a keto diet compared to other diets when it comes to burning stored fat. Furthermore, most people eating uh, an animal-based keto diet, at least, they, they see their cholesterol skyrocket and they become so insulin resistant that they struggle to, to reintroduce carbohydrates with, without issues. So the bottom line for me on, on low-carb diets is that they're no superior for, for weight loss. They are not easier to adhere to. And they're not a dietary pattern associated with reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, et cetera. If it's working for you and, and, and you've lost weight, then I absolutely applaud you. I'll take my hat off to you for that. Um, I take my hat off to anyone who has lost weight by, by making changes to their diet. But, but I would think uh, about whether it's the best option for your long-term health. Okay, so specifically what sort of dietary pattern am I proposing? Let's get practical here. For for someone that is quite overweight, I think a a low-fat, plant-predominant or exclusive diet is best. If it's if it's plant-predominant then then by that I mean one meal in every fourth or fifth meal contains lean meat However, preferably, and what I'd like to see people adopt, is a complete shift in their mindset and a move to to a 100% whole food plant-based diet. And and, then why? Because I believe that when adopted as part of a lifestyle, this will lead to the best long-term results. And such a diet would provide the majority of calories from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, with moderate inclusion of, of nuts and seeds. And personally, I don't recommend counting calories. It's all about the food choices, thinking about what foods your nutrients are coming from. And if you get that right, you get the food groups right, the macronutrients will take care of themselves, eating until you're satisfied, but not eating ultra-processed foods and, and minimizing or not having animal products. If you're finding you're hungry after meals, then there are some foods that you can go to that are very satiating but low calorie. These are these are foods like boiled potatoes or oatmeal or beans and lentils. While it it may sound a little foreign, you can you can still use the same spices and seasonings, etc., that you always use. And and really, in no time, you 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 will be cooking and preparing. You won't even be thinking about the foods that you've left behind, and and you'll be surrounded by a whole new variety of foods and flavors that you you mightn't have yet experienced in your whole life. A few other tips I recommend that that can help you feel fuller for longer, because I know that is uh, perhaps. Something that people struggle with, and maybe you're listening and thinking well i do I do eat a one hundred percent whole food plant based diet or close to one hundred percent, maybe there's some processed foods in there, but you know what I mean like you're trying your best and, and you're doing it with with as many whole foods as possible, and you're still not losing weight. There are some other tips that that I have to help you feel fuller for longer. And the first of those is having a glass or so of water 30 to 60 minutes before your meal. A lot of the time we think we're hungry, we're actually thirsty. So staying hydrated is really important. And 30 to 60 minutes before having the meal, at least having a glass of water. The second is having a big salad before your dinner. You can even put the, the boiled potato into this. And, and what that will do is you'll fill up on a very high volume, very low calorie salad before your main meal comes out. And most likely it will mean that you can have a smaller portion size for your main, or you can stop yourself from going back for seconds. The third thing is out of sight, out of mind principle. If if you have ultra processed foods at home chances are they're going to get eaten. So to protect your calorie deficit, start at the grocery store. Do not shop on an empty stomach ever. okay number four if you are stressed or perhaps just had an argument, we all know what that feels like, try not to sit down then and there and and eat instead, Take a breather, go for a walk, calm down, come back and eat when you are relaxed and when you can be mindful of the food that you're about to eat and how much you're about to eat. Number five, stick to solids where you can. While I'm a, I'm an advocate for smoothies and I think they do have their place. If if someone is trying to lose weight and perhaps perhaps struggling or not getting the results that that they are looking. Uh, to achieve, smoothies are, are one of the first things that I would suggest to look at changing up. You know, chewing your food will will ultimately lead to to greater satisfaction, satiety, fullness. Okay, so that's some some tips to to help you set up your dietary framework. Some tips to help you stay fuller for longer. What about exercise? Where does that fit into this? We spoke before about energy balance and within energy expenditure, the role of exercise. Both neat or incidental exercise, like playing with your kids or cleaning the house, as well as dedicated exercise, like going to the gym. Uh, Both of these help increase the amount of energy that you burn. But what I want to make really clear, and as a take-home message here, and this is from the science, is that you cannot out-exercise a bad diet in fact, I personally see this as one of the biggest areas where people come unstuck in their quest to lose weight. They, they feel like they need to pound the treadmill and they're doing that and they're working so hard in the gym, but they're not achieving the results that they're after. And the problem is studies show that when people do this and, and go to the gym and, and do a lot of cardio, they actually compensate and, and they eat more. And they do less neat, less incidental exercise, like like cleaning the house, or walking the dog, or taking the stairs. They stop doing these things because they have gone to the gym. So overall, the the decrease in weight is less than that than than what they would expect, and and they can become somewhat disheartened for 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 all their efforts because they have been showing up to the gym and they have been showing up to yoga, or they have been showing up to F45 and, and giving it their all, um, just slightly unconscious of the effect that that's having on the amount of food that they're, they're needing and the, the reduction in incidental exercise that they're doing as a result. I actually think it's far more beneficial for those wanting to lose weight to, to do resistance exercise versus cardio firstly, and, and then trying to, to keep their neat up. Keep it at the level that it's at or increase it. And also be careful not to eat too many extra calories just because you did a workout. The, the resistance exercise, that's important because that will help build muscle. And as I said earlier, muscle requires energy arrest, So it helps increase the basal metabolic rate or stop it from, from reducing as much as you lose weight. So the take-home point here is don't use cardio as an excuse to, to sort of get lazy with your, your NEAT, your incidental exercise. Keep that up. Keep your, your step target up or, or whatever incidental exercise activities you do. Be careful, be mindful not to increase food intake too drastically Uh, just because you've done a workout. And and finally, don't be scared to do resistance exercise, whether that's with weights or body weight. It will actually help you with fat loss. Okay. So with all of that said, how quickly should we be aiming to lose this weight? I think here perspective and realistic expectations are, are super important. They're really key from the outset unless medically required for some reason I, I do not recommend going for extreme weight loss you know five kilos in a month or anything like that look at it this way on on average the typical american i couldn't find any statistics for aussies but it's it's not too dissimilar i imagine and, and the same principles apply but a typical American adult puts on 0.2 to 0.8 kilograms per year, with more than half of that really coming during December, January holiday period, which they fail to lose in the, in the months afterwards. If we take the sort of middle ground of this 0.2 to 0.8 kilograms per year, say 0.5 or half a kilogram per year, which is about 1.1 pounds, if, if they're putting that on a year over a decade, that's you know, five kilograms every decade. And and mind you, that might actually be a slight underestimation uh, now that I'm thinking about it because every 10 years, we're actually, as adults, we're losing some bone and muscle mass or on average. Um, so they're probably likely gaining more than five kilograms of fat when you factor that in. But, but let's work with this. Five kilograms of fat on average gained every decade for average American adults. Yet we often hear people saying that they want to lose that in a month. Most people, in fact, are, are far better off making smaller changes within a lifestyle that they can adhere to long-term and working on roughly you know, one or two kilograms maximum per month And in doing this, you're you're more likely to adopt a diet that is sustainable rather than an extremely calorie-restricted diet that you simply cannot sustain. And it's this adherence and lifestyle part that is absolutely key. If If you get that right and you're not just looking for that quick fix, you will always be able to stay in control of your body weight. Okay, so what do we do if we implement Everything that I'm talking about—we're eating whole foods, where we're not eating refined foods. We're minimising or removing calorie-dense animal products. We're doing these strategies to stay fuller for longer. We're not looking for the quick fix, so so we're 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 in this for the for the long run. But we we have some social events and we slip up. What do we do if we slip up? Firstly, um, everyone slips up. You know, holidays happen. They're fun. If you if you gain a few kilograms, it's it's not the end of the world. Just come back to this episode. Get back on top of your food choice. So don't don't get caught up in, in should I low carb? Should I high carb? Should I this or that? Remember, energy balance is 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 going to get you out of the the situation that you find yourself in. So you come back to energy balance and. You, you look at the levers you can pull. So you can, the food, you know, you know what to do with the food now. And you look at the exercise and you just get back onto a program that is pulling you in the right direction, pushing you towards a calorie deficit rather than the calorie surplus that you'd been in while enjoying your holidays. And you can pull a few of those levers and, and, and monitor what happens. And if you're not losing the weight, pull the levers a little bit harder. It's not, it really is not the end of the world. Just come back to this episode, get back on top of your food choice, the overall dietary pattern and, and work on ways to increase your energy expenditure at the same time. If you find you're plateauing, it, it could be a few things, but it may be due to the fact that when you lose weight, you're Basal metabolic rate typically goes down a little bit, and, and thus your, your sort of calorie requirement is lower uh, because you weigh less. Your body needs less calories to, to perform its, its basic functions of breathing, circulation, et cetera. So, knowing what you know now, if you're in that position, you again, you know you have two levers to pull. You've, you've hit a plateau, you, you're looking to lose more weight. So, you can either reduce your calories. It could just be small tweaks to to portion sizes as a as a starting point uh, and or you can increase your energy expenditure through more incidental uh, exercise or dedicated exercise. The other thing to be mindful of, uh, given that we're talking about the sort of holiday period because that's where this is uh, most often relevant is is those liquid calories, the alcohol. You can you can eat well all week. You can be in a slight calorie deficit naturally, just due to sort of good food selection and and then the eight weeks on the weekend puts you into a surplus. I'm not saying don't have a drink, but but be mindful that alcoholic beverages in particular uh, beer and wine and spirits and sugar-sweetened soft drink, they do tend to have a lot of calories. And while we're speaking of slipping up here, that actually reminds me to touch on intermittent fasting. I know a lot of people send me questions about intermittent fasting. It's a tool that I have used and I still use. Uh, while I'm, um, I'm a proponent of intermittent fasting, I, I'm not going to go all woo-woo on you here. The, the reason I like it, and um, you know, other than the emerging benefits, which, which are fascinating, but admittingly, uh, we need some more vigorous science to sort of tease out uh, some of these other potential benefits of intermittent fasting, is that intermittent fasting is a great tool for regulating energy balance. I use it personally based on, on how I've been eating or, or how I know I will be eating, so what I mean by that is, say for example, I've had a few days of lots of eating, perhaps you know multiple two three nights in a row down at Eden with friends, and the food's delicious at Eden. Um, it's very healthy, but my friends tend to want to to order the entire menu, um, which is great, but I end up eating so much and. I will, I'll bring in intermittent fasting for, for a few days until I feel back to normal. And how I use intermittent fasting is a, an eight-hour eating window. So I'll bring it in for two or three days where I will only eat between midday and 8 p.m., which essentially just means I skip breakfast, um, which is really easy to do. This, and, and, and this whole notion of needing regular meals throughout the day to, to sort of boost your metabolism... This is, a, this is a myth, it's, it's, a, it's a big myth, so don't stress about that. Uh, and it's actually good to give your digestive system a bit of a rest every now and then if you can. And the same goes if I know I have a few weekend commitments in advance where I'll be indulging uh, more than normal. In the, in the lead up, I may do intermittent fasting for, for two or three days prior. And, and in doing that, You know, I may eat 600 calories in a a sort of standard meal. So I'm eating 600 calories less on each of those three days in the lead up. And it's just giving me some extra calories, a bit of a buffer up my sleeve to, to enjoy myself over the weekend. The only caveat here is that I wouldn't recommend saving calories in the week by skipping breakfast in order to justify drinking on the weekend. While that may sort out energy balance, the the overall nutritional composition of your diet is going to suffer immensely. So I'm definitely not recommending that. Finally, while I said at the beginning that this wasn't going to be a deep dive into hormones and I might actually get an endocrinologist on to do that at some stage, given there are a lot of young women who, who listen to this show I do quickly want to talk about the menstrual period. It's completely normal to want to eat more, particularly in the, in the week leading up to menstruation, as your your metabolic rate goes up. That's a, that's a natural part of menstruation is that the metabolic rate goes up. And that means that the body requires more, more energy. It's using more energy. Specifically, during this time, you need up to 300 calories more per day in that week. So all I want to say here is if you're dieting and you're dieting strictly, just be conscious of this. Your your body actually needs those calories. But if you are dieting and you do have goals in mind, just be mindful to have healthy snacks on hand. Often women that are that are trying to lose weight and perhaps are not getting the results that they're after find that they overindulge a bit during this week. So with that said, just be mindful. Firstly, it's totally normal to, to be more hungry, have healthy snacks on hand. And as I said, usually the body needs up to 300 calories more per day, which as an example is roughly half, a, half an avocado on a piece of whole grain toast. Okay. So let's close this one out with a recap and some take-home messages. Yes, it's true. Uh, Ultimately, energy balance is king when it comes to weight loss. But remember, you can lose weight by restricting yourself to to three Mars bars a day, for example, or, or simply doing a prolonged fast. Neither of these though is healthy or sustainable. So ideally, you want to promote a calorie deficit with foods that are known to improve health outcomes, irrespective of weight loss. They have inherent properties that that get to work to improve your health, even without weight loss. That is the the true measure as to how powerful and how healthy a food really is. Foods known to reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, etc., rather than focusing in on macronutrients and getting distracted by fat, carbohydrates, protein. The single most important thing to focus on is the sources of your nutrients, the food themselves. So with that said, here is 11 take-home points. Number one, Try to get all or most of your calories from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds in their whole or minimally processed form. So, try and get all or most of your calories from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds in their whole or minimally processed form. And I have a blog at plantproof.com with a healthy plant based food pyramid that I've put together to show you these food groups. That you want to be consuming on a regular basis to, to promote healthy body weight and to promote optimal health. Number two, cut out or significantly minimize the ultra processed, refined foods. If it's not in your pantry, you won't eat it. This Franken food, or whatever you want to call it, that's designed by food scientists, it's, it's not nourishing your body and it tricks your taste buds into thinking that whole plant foods from nature are not sweet enough. So try try to shop more to the perimeter of the grocery store rather than in the middle aisles. That's where uh, a lot of the ultra-processed food tends to be. Number three, you do not need to cut carbohydrates. A low-carb diet is not superior to any other diet for weight loss, and is, is definitely not associated with as good outcomes with regards to uh, avoidance of other chronic diseases when you compare it to, to diets, for example, that are high in unrefined carbohydrates from foods such as whole grains and legumes. And you can look at the blue zones as an example. If, if a low-carb diet has worked for you, that's fantastic, but perhaps consider if it is the best option for your long-term health. Remember, you can, you can lose weight on any dietary pattern, but some are better than others when it comes to avoiding chronic disease. Number four, eat plenty of plant foods high on the satiating index. These are foods that keep you fuller for longer, like potatoes. I'll put a link to these foods in the show notes uh, and use the other tips I provided earlier in the episode with regards to staying fuller for longer, like drinking the glass of water 30 to 60 minutes before your meal. Number five, eat plenty of foods rich in plant protein, such as beans, lentils, tempeh, and tofu. Protein has a high thermic effect. So if you recall from early on, what that means is that your body will use a lot of the energy in that food to to digest, absorb, and, and utilize it. Essentially, think of our body's ability to use protein as highly inefficient which means it, it requires a lot of energy, which is actually a good thing when you are talking about fat loss. You may read online to target upwards of 1.5 grams per kilo of, of lean body weight, which for, for a 70 kilogram woman that is, say, 20% body fat, that's 56 kilograms of lean mass. And if you multiply 56 kilograms of lean mass by 1.5 grams that gives you a target of 84 grams of protein per day. I actually don't think you need to to count, as long as you're including the protein-rich foods that I just reeled off, um, particularly these are are all mainly legumes um, in your meals. Some of you may also throw in a protein shake, particularly if you're exercising. and, And if you do, I recommend one that contains pea and brown rice protein, for a good ratio of the essential amino acids, the, the building blocks for muscle tissue. Okay, number six, and we are getting towards the end. So if you're still listening, you are an absolute trooper. Number six, careful of snacking. A lot of the time we think snacking doesn't count. Um, we eat while we're sort of working on the computer or while we're on the phone and this adds up. And I'm not saying don't snack, but but practice mindful snacking. So rather than sort of incidental snacking, um, get into a routine of planned snacking. Healthy snacks, are things like a handful of blueberries and nuts, or hummus and, and celery sticks, or avocado on a piece of whole grain toast, which I mentioned before, or a banana, things like that. Number seven, always have water on hand and stay hydrated. Often we We'll want to snack throughout the day or increase the portion size of our meals simply because we're thirsty. Number eight, increase your NEAT or incidental exercise. Park your car further from the entrance to the shopping mall, walk the dogs more, walk to the shops, take the train to work rather than driving so, so you have to walk to and from the train station. Incidental exercise like this that you can, you can build into your lifestyle, it's huge. It's huge. Incidental exercise for for most people burns more energy over the day than a 45-minute gym session does. So don't underestimate the effect that NEAT or incidental exercise can have on your energy balance. Prioritize more incidental exercise and on days when you work out, don't let the incidental exercise drop off. So if you've done a workout, still take the stairs at work, for example just something to be conscious of. If, if you have increased your dedicated exercise and, and are not seeing the results you expect, ask yourself, has your NEAT dropped off? Number nine, increase your dedicated exercise and don't be scared of, of lifting weights or doing body weight resistance exercises as this will promote more muscle tissue, which is great in the context of weight loss. But remember, you cannot exercise a bad diet. If you are thrashing yourself doing cardio and not getting results, most of the time, it's a result of the food you're eating. Number 10, intermittent fasting can be used as a tool to promote a calorie deficit, but it's not a, a magic fat burning pill. For those who who want to lose weight, trying the, the sort of 16, 8, Uh, intermittent fasting where you only eat in an eight-hour window, for example, midday to 8 p.m., it may be helpful. It may not be. Try it out if you want to. It's also a useful tool to help correct your energy balance if you've overconsumed, or if you know you have social events planned where you're likely to consume extra calories. Number 11, the final one. Hey, friends, me again. Quick note to let you know I have a brand new completely complimentary two-week plant-based meal plan on my website. Inside contains delicious breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack recipes, along with a complete breakdown of the nutritional information for each. Whether you're looking to add one plant-based meal to your weekly regime or go full plant, I'm sure you will find this resource helpful. You can get your copy today at plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. That's plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. Okay let's get back into it. Number 11, the final one. Ultimately, what you put into practice, plant predominant or 100% plant-based, intermittent fasting or not, going to the gym, et cetera, it's it's only as good as your adherence is in the long term. So using the, the principles in this episode, find that sweet spot for you, stick with it and and you'll see results, not only in terms of your weight loss, but, but also your overall risk of developing chronic disease. And remember what I said about not needing to lose so much weight so quickly. So some of these things you can implement slowly. You don't have to implement everything from this episode all at once. In fact, that is most likely going to overcomplicate things. And if you slip up, that's okay. But rather than than just moving on, this is really important. Try to identify the, the trigger and write it down because there will be a trigger. Maybe you went down aisle five, the, the chocolate bar aisle, when you were hungry and, and that's how they ended, ended up in your pantry. Identify the trigger, take, take some responsibility there and, and try to adjust your behavior so that the new habits form in place of the old ones for example rather than getting the chocolate bars next time and rather than just restricting yourself from from aisle 5 and 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 enjoying anything sweet get a packet of dates and and hold yourself to a certain number per week okay finally you are always going to, to get health professionals. There's always going to be health professionals and, and others on social media or at the coffee shop telling you that it's your hormones or it's stress or you need to take a magic pill, et cetera, and making it all very complicated. And while I, I can put my hand up to say that things like hormones and stress and sleep, they they may in certain individuals... You know, play into the amount of calories that, that someone is eating. These these factors really do not seem to overly affect energy balance, and 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 are somewhat overhyped to the point where sorry, hard truth coming, where where people uh, feel as though their weight gain is all external; it's out of their control. And the reason I say hard truth is that you can take control of your weight and set up a lifestyle that helps you lose weight. This disempowerment that I so often see is, is often a, a tactic to get you reaching into your pocket and signing up to some form of a scheme. So while it's a hard truth, I don't like seeing people being taken advantage of and the science is clear that energy balance really does reign supreme. It's why people lose weight, stay the same weight or gain weight and it can be manipulated and controlled by us. And I like that because that means we are in control and that's empowering. Trust me, you, you can do this. You just have to understand the obesogenic environment that we find ourselves in and take back control you've got it i know you do of course i do appreciate that there are there are small exceptions to this such as those with an autoimmune thyroid condition but i will say though even those with the thyroid condition will benefit by the information in this episode and understanding energy balance you know specifically the removal of ultra processed foods and animal products with a focus on whole plant foods, but, but admittingly, it is likely to be harder to lose weight compared to someone without a thyroid issue. If this is you, firstly, you want to make sure you've seen an endocrinologist. It's not self-diagnosed. Make sure you're properly diagnosed and they will likely give you medications, which will help regulate your metabolism. And secondly, having hypothyroidism means you may need to adjust your expectations. You may need to adjust your expectations. You are likely already eating pretty low calories and and perhaps not seeing the results that you want. If this is you, rather than continuing to lower your calories to levels that can affect nutritional adequacy and and feeling drained of energy and lousy, the, the major levers you can pull are exercise, incidental or dedicated and also getting good amounts of protein in your diet, which remember has a high thermic effect. Compared to the next person, you need to work a little harder in the gym, and it's certainly a good idea to be doing resistance exercise. All right, wow, fair bit covered there, friends. We might leave it at that. As I said at the beginning, I'll put links to the studies that speak to various points I've covered today under clear headings for ease of reference at your end. It is it is certainly a lot to cover. It's a big topic, but but as an introductory level, I, I hope I was able to help you better understand energy balance, why we gain weight, and and how we can take control of our body weight through both diet and exercise. And and now when someone comes up to you and says, "Ah, oh, but if you if you're trying to lose weight, you shouldn't be eating carbs." Uh, now you know what to say, or or at least what to think as you silently nod your head in, in hope the conversation ends there. That's all for this one. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate you. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please let me know your thoughts on social media. I love to hear from all of you. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at plant underscore proof. That's at plant underscore proof or at plant underscore proof, depending on how you say it. I actually think most of the really interesting nutrition chat is, is happening on Twitter these days. So I definitely recommend following me on there if you if you are a bit of a nutrition nerd like me and, and you're on Twitter. And before we do close this one out, uh, next episode we have Sean Ryan back on the show for a follow-up to go over his blood tests, talk about his transition to a plant-based diet and answer any new questions that he has and if you didn't listen to his first episode it was episode 89 i think the episode before this one be sure to check that one out uh, before next week until then friends keep having fun keep that plant diversity game strong and most of all keep that spacesuit plant proof i haven't said that for a while and it was a request (laughs) perhaps time to bring it back okay Bye for now.